I'm reading from Psalm 90, verses 1 through 17. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, wherever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, Return, O children of man, for a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood, they are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed, in the evening it fades and withers. For we were brought to an end by your anger, by your wrath we are dismayed. We have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath, we bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet the span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, our Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and, for us, and for us as many years as we may seem evil. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, here at the end of summer, I chose a really sunny song <laughs> for us. Uh, this is a great word that we need to reflect on. So let's pray, and then we're going to walk through this. Father, we thank you for Psalm 90, for its sober truth-telling. We pray that it would reframe us, that we would be radically and deeply dependent upon you, that we would find you to be our dwelling place, our love we pray that you would establish the work of our hands, and we thank you most of all for giving us Christ. As we look to him, we ask that you would give us, give us hearts of wisdom. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. I think it's pretty clear that our culture is obsessed with lengthening and extending life with keeping age at bay. And I think we see that in particular in a very powerful way here in South Orange County, where if a building is, uh, was built in 1978, it's considered like old and historical, right? Now, I am not immune to this resistance to aging. It happens in strange ways. It emerges in ways we don't expect. On our weekly Zoom call that we've had now since the start of COVID, so for about three years, uh, with my mother and our extended family, uh, my brothers and sisters and their significant others. A few weeks ago, as we were sharing, I said, you know, recently I had gone to my 30th high school reunion, and I just kind of skimmed right over that, and one of my brothers looked kind of puzzled, and he said, 30 years? And I realized, and I said, oh, 40-year reunion. Now, 
I was not lying, but I will tell you in that moment, I subconsciously was truly thinking that uh, I graduated high school 30 years ago and that that makes me 48. We are all seeking to stay young. And perhaps it's subconscious, but this is something that we all strive for. Like Harrison Ford in this most recent Indiana Jones movie, maybe I too, we too can experience the wonders of what they have called de-aging <laughs> and looking like we did when we were younger. Friends, I need this song, living here in this place where we exalt youthfulness. I need it and so do you. It is attributed to Moses who understood the passing of the years as he reflected upon the rising and the falling of the generations of Israel. As they ultimately considered their relationship with God who was in covenant with them, he says, consider your lives in light of your eternal God. And this is a, a long, thick psalm, but we're going to hone in on verse 12. That's the title of the sermon. Teach us to number our days that we might gain a heart of wisdom. Give us an awareness, in other words, of our brevity, of our short span, so that we become wiser people. One writer has said this psalm expresses the grandeur of God over and against the frailty of man, of humanity. But that over and against is actually what is our hope as we look to God, who is the eternal one. And so we're going to look at this um, through three motifs that are here in the psalm. The Lord is eternal. We are brief. And then the prayer. Teach us to number our days that we would gain a heart of wisdom. First, in the first few verses, the Lord is eternal. Look at verse 2 first. We'll come back to verse 1. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to ever, everlasting, you are God. See, the cosmos point to their creator who had no beginning and who will have no end. And the question then arises, then, who created God? Well, he is not the first link in a chain of finite things. He is the infinite one who didn't need anyone to create him or make him. He is the one who is self-existent. He is not dependent upon humanity. And he is not, as one writer has said, humanity writ large. But he is the God outside of time who brought time and space in our lives, the mountains, the hills, the rivers, the oceans. He brought it all into being and he sustains it all. And so this is saying, look away from the shifting sands of your experience that is so transitory, so fleeting. And look upon the Creator who was and is and always will be vibrantly, vibrantly, dynamically alive forever. Moses begins there. But let's now then take it back to verse 1. It's very personal for us. He says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place for all generations as the Eternal One. 
you have come to be our dwelling place. Now, the word dwelling is, is woven throughout Scripture. We see that it was used of the tabernacle that, that God called the people to erect so that he might meet with them and tabernacle among them, come to meet with them in worship in the tent of meeting. But taber, or rather dwelling can also mean a place where a lioness keeps her cubs safe, like in a cave. And so this is then meaning that dwelling is not just a place to live with God, but a place to live safely, to dwell securely with God. And so it means, friends, that the everlasting home for transitory people like you and me is our sovereign one who is also our shelter, our refuge, our safe place. And again, this sense of God being our dwelling is so important because in a sense, what the psalm is saying is that we are very rootless. Rootless. We are transitory. Now, I think a lot of you, as you think about roots, um, Southern California is known to be a place of transplants, people who come here, maybe they're here for a bit and they leave. But for me, this place feels like home. Uh, I, my, my family goes way back in Southern California. My, mater, my paternal grandmother was born in San Diego in the late 1800s. My parents met at LA High, High School in the early 1940s. <laughs> We raised our kids here. Uh, we were all born here, um, me, my siblings and I, and then, of course, we raised our kids here. So I don't have a longing to get anywhere else. Now I have kids and grandkids in Idaho, but this still feels like home to Liz and me. To a degree, it feels permanent. I know you Midwesterners don't relate, but I love L.A. Might I say greater L.A.? <laughs> I love Orange County. But as I reflect upon this psalm, and as Liz even and I talk about when we are older, we're, we're young now, <laughs> but as we get older, what would it mean to, to think about a place? Well, this psalm tells me that Southern California is not my permanent home. It tells me that you and I live in a world where there is so much insecurity and flux and so what Moses is doing here is he is reflecting back on his words to the generation that was heading into the promised land. And in Deuteronomy 33, this is what he said to them, the eternal God is your dwelling place. As you go to this new land, you need to know that God is your dwelling place and underneath you are the everlasting arms. What is everlasting to me is not Southern California. What is everlasting to you is not the Midwest or back East or some other country, your home country, as it were. What is everlasting are the arms of God. And friends, this is a beautiful image. In three weeks, Liz and I will fly to Boise where I, Boise, sorry, <laughs> where I will get to baptize my namesake, Thomas, in my uh, son and daughter-in-law's Presbyterian church, a sister church of ours. And uh, when I hold him in my arms, 
to present him to the Lord. I will be telling him, he's very young, he won't understand yet, and his parents and their church that he rests in the everlasting arms of God, that God is his dwelling place and that though he has his entire life in front of him, Lord willing, so much of his life will be uh, in fluctuation, it will be in flux, it will feel at times impermanent and fleeting, but it is in God. Amid all the changes and chances of life, it is in God that he, little Thomas, will find his dwelling place. And the same is true for me, and the same is true for you. God is eternal. But then we come to the point that we are brief. You see, God's permanence here contrasts with our very short lives. And the psalmist wants us to not try to avoid this reality. Some of you may remember from high school English or maybe philosophy, the Samuel Beckett play, Waiting for Godot, and there's a famous line there about humanity, about you and me. They give birth astride of a grave, the light gleams an instant, then it's night once more. Well, that seems to be capturing Uh, Not the hope of this passage, but at least the first part of the psalm, the reality of it. We could call it man the ephemeral in light of God the eternal. And then note that Moses is pointing this out in his three successive images that he uses in verse 5. He says, God, you sweep them away like a flood. No doubt Moses here is thinking of the Israelites going through the Red Sea as their pursuers chased them and then the waters of judgment consumed them and they were gone and they were no more they the egyptians their enemies were like a dream or like a a flash flood taken away and then moses says that they we are like a dream now you may have sometimes dreams maybe early in the morning as you're beginning to wake up that could actually cover the span of five minutes or two minutes and they They seem like they are, you know, a week-long epic. You want to remember the dream 10 minutes after you wake up, and what happens? (laughs) The the dream quickly fades. And you think, you know, I know some good things happened there. I I was with some people, but I can't quite remember what they said. I can't quite remember where I was. You see, a dream vanishes. And Moses wants us to realize that our lives are ephemeral like that. And then he goes on to say, we are like grass that flourishes, that is renewed in the morning and that withers and fades in the evening. Now this is a reality in the Middle East. This is their climate, but in many ways it reflects our climate as well, right? We had so much rain this winter, and when I rode my bike often up to uh, up El Toro, up the Aliso Creek Trail, I kept thinking, I'm in Ireland this year. This is wonderful. But now, right, most of that has turned brown. And so Psalm 90 wants us to get in touch with the feel of that image. We rise in the morning, and we fade in the evening, as it were. We are so temporary. 
And our short span, Moses says, um, it's like the years of our lives are 70 or even by reason of strength, 80. Now some of you are very strong (laughs) and you're going to live into your 90s. Uh, We have a member whose family member is thriving, from what I understand, at 106. And yet I'm sure that person would still say life is like a dream. It is like grass. And so again, Moses sets our brief span against God's eternity. He says, for a thousand years in your sight is but yesterday. So with all of this in mind, I love the way that Tim Keller prayed about this passage, turning it into a prayer. He prayed, Lord, life is going by so fast, and there's candor here, it frightens me. Unless I remember your eternity, we are rootless as tumbleweed and will be blown about all our lives. And this is true of the young, the old, the middle-aged. Unless you are our dwelling place, in you alone we are home. But this passage makes really clear, and I think you heard this as Duncan was reading it for us, as you saw it projected up here. It is not simply the issue that we are finite, but there is a deeper reason for our brevity of life. Moses makes it clear, very clear, that we are under God's wrath. Now, this, again, is the song of Moses. And so, if we back up to verse 3, we see that Moses is alluding back to Genesis 3. He says, you return man to the dust. That could be rendered, you returned Adam to the dust. You say, return, O children of man, to the dust. And from this comes the reflection that is often read at funerals from the Anglican Book of Worship. From dust you have come, and to dust you shall return. And so just as Adam and Eve were alienated from the garden and thereby alienated from life because of their rebellion against God, so then later Israel is exiled from the promised land, and then we replay that theme, all of humanity does, in this larger sense, as we are exiled from life and we are under this kind of death sentence, this side of heaven. Romans 5 says, because of one man's trespass, that is Adam's rebellion against God, death reigned through that one man, in Adam all died. And so death is a corporate thing, but it is also something that we all share in. Now, this doesn't mean that if someone gets cancer and dies, it's not at all saying that that person deserved to die because of a certain sin. It is talking more generally about the human race that, that we have turned away from the God of life, and therefore the only option in that is death. And so we break down because we have broken covenant with God. We fall apart because we have fallen short of His glory. And we do this in spectacular ways, of course. But Moses also points out that it's due to our secret sins 
that God sees that we think no one else sees. Our jealousies, the way we get envy about the affirmation or the position or, or the, um, the house or the car or the spouse that someone else has. It's the secret sins of our impatience with others, the frustration that we feel when life doesn't play out according to our plan. God sees those things. And so we fall apart because we have fallen short of his glory. And that's our predicament. But then Moses leads to the happier part of the psalm, the good news of it. You see, there is what we find here is Moses says, God, may we take your eternal reality and our brevity, and in light of bringing those two together, teach us to have a heart of wisdom by counting our days. Now, this is a tough thing for us to think about, I think, in our cultural climate. There is so much emphasis in our culture, again, on extending life, on making life better, and I am part of that. I work hard at that, and I know you do too. Right now in the New York Times bestseller list, at least in our, their hardcover um, list, the number one book is Outlive, and I, li- I listened to a podcast from the author, by the author, and he's a, a brilliant physician. Some of you have probably heard, there have been several podcasts where he's been interviewed, and he talks about nutrition and, and burgeoning medicine and science and exercise and lifestyle, things we need to add, things we need to take away and subtract. And, and he base, basically says that it, it, it's quite likely that in the coming generations, we'll be able to extend our lives so that we might live to 110, 120. This is a common thing that we are hearing more and more. As one of my sons says, and, and he is very, very interested in longevity, nutrition, and fitness, he has asked me, and he listens to these podcasts, he reads these books, he asked, do you think it's a secular version of replacing the resurrection and seeking eternal life through science apart from God? Well, the answer is yes. He's absolutely right. The Washington Post had an article recently that was titled this way, Tech Titans Latest Project, Defy Death. The subtitle said, they believe they can create the fountain of youth using technology and data. Now, for some reason, maybe because the algorithm knew I was working on this, I'm seeing many, many articles like this coming through. And one of you actually sent me an article about an eccentric tech billionaire. And there was an article about him, and and it talked about his quest to live forever. This is a guy who takes 110 pills a day. Um, He eats chocolate-covered mushrooms. For some reason, that seems to be a, a thing that will extend life, at least according to his quirky diet. Um, He actually advises drinking wine in the morning. I find this all kind of strange, but you see, it's this 21st century quest, as one writer said, to defeat death, to to gain eternal life. Now, I want to qualify this. There is a matter here of stewardship. We, 
We want to be healthy. It's great to live longer. It's, it's a good thing to reduce the burden on our kids and our grandkids. We want to be good stewards of our health. But let's return to what the psalmist really values. And let's think about that in light of what our culture values. We often hear we want to be what at heart? What do we want to be at heart? We want to be young at heart, right? We hear that all the time. Now, now much of that is good, right? When you're young at heart, you're energetic, you're optimistic, you're flexible, you're inquisitive. I want to be those things here in my late 50s. But Psalm 90 teaches that wisdom is found not in trying to hold on to your 20s forever or in lengthening and extending your days, but wisdom, friends, is found in numbering our days, realizing how fleeting and fast our days go by. Teach me, God, to number my days so that I might gain a heart of wisdom. You see, in earlier days, this might have been an easier endeavor. One of you has pointed out often in the context of our church that historically churches were always, often at least, at least back east and in Europe, were put next door to what? The, um, the cemeteries. So that when you came to church, you also saw the tombstones of where saints in the church grew up and died and were buried there. There was this constant reminder that our span is brief and that mortality is near and therefore you need the, the immortal one. But we have sequestered all that and put it out of our purview. Now what Moses is not saying here is to be morbid and macabre and to focus on death in a way that's kind of um, grim. He's not saying be like a neighbor who's in the vicinity of my house uh, years ago who drove an orange hearse with a gargoyle on the dashboard. It always kind of creeped me out. That's not what this is talking about. You see, brevity without the eternality of God would just simply make us grim and dark. This is not an obsession with death, friends. It is an awareness of our mortality that drives us to the ever-living, always-loving God. I have shared with you many times before that my genetically flawed, slowly dying kidneys are a gift. Because when I was young, when I was in my teens and 20s, I had an awareness of what this psalm is talking about. That life goes by quickly, that summers are not actually endless, that they quickly seem to end as we get older, and that my time is ticking. There's a part of me that's about 90 years old. My mother, has, who's 95, has much better working kidneys than I do. She tells me she would give me one or both. <laughs> Isn't that sweet? Uh, and I said, I don't think they would take a 90-year-old kidney at UCLA, but thank you. <laughs> but you see, what this has always done for me is to remind me that my life is brief, and it drives me to my eternal God, who is my only self-dwelling, uh, safe dwelling place. 
In other words, as one writer has said, a wise heart involves the disavowal of autonomy, trying to live on our own, trying to be self-made and independent as so many people are living. A wise heart means that we entrust our lives and our future fully to God. Now look at verse 13. Return, O Lord, in pity. Satisfy us with your steadfast love, your loyal love, your unbreakable unbreakable commitment. Return so that we may be glad. Now God returned to the Israelites again and again in various ways throughout history, but he has ultimately done this in Jesus Christ. Christ has come as the steadfast love of God. And Christ came to take the wrath of God upon himself that we deserve so that we might receive God's mercy that we did not deserve. And though Christ went down to death, he did not disintegrate into dust, but he rose to everlasting life. And so though Romans 5 says that we all die in Adam, it then says in verse 17 of Romans 5, for if because of one man's trespass, that is Adam's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. The gift to us is that we reign in life through Jesus Christ. Let all of the temporary sense of life drive you to the one who alone will allow you to reign in life. Again, Tim Keller reflecting on Psalm 90 from the vantage point of Christ has said, if we connect ourselves to God's unfailing, unending love, that love overcomes our mortality And then we never end because we are linked to the one who said, I am the resurrection and the life. And he who dies will live if he trusts, if she trusts in me. So the dust is not our ultimate reality. Though the grass withers and we are like the grass, that will not be the end of our story. Our life in Christ is. And so the fleeting temporary nature of our lives can also make us wonder about our labor and the things that we strive for and the work that we do and all the things that we try to build in this life. It can seem that death just swallows it up. Leo Tolstoy said, Is there any meaning in my life that the inevitable death awaiting me does not destroy? Well, yes. We are temporary But when we are rooted in our eternal God who has come in Christ, when we are rooted in His love, the meaning of our lives is not swallowed up. And so we as believers can then pray, let your favor be upon us, knowing that it is. We can cry out, establish the work of our hands. Yes, establish the work of our hands. And He does and He will, friends. So when you're teaching a Bible study, when you're putting your kids down at night to go to sleep, 
when you're taking your kids to kindergarten or to college or sending them off, when you're working in the kitchen, when you're walking, when you're sleeping, none of this is vain or pointless. It all matters. Because you are alive in Christ even though you die, even though you're like the grass. And the things that you do with your hands will endure because you belong to your immortal God. And He establishes your mortal efforts. When you see this, in light of your brief life, the eternal reality of your life in God, then you are gaining a heart of wisdom. May he teach us to count our days in light of his eternity. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would give us hearts of wisdom, that you would help us to see and remember that our lives are brief. Forgive us when we try to avoid this, especially here in Orange County, uh, We want to sequester aging and death. We are not in a church where there's a cemetery next door. But God, death is all around us. Aging is all around us. We've seen, even locally in the news, um, the shocking loss of life where it comes out of nowhere. It comes tragically. It comes from the hand of evil. Or it's just disease and time that takes people's lives. Father, our lives are brief. They are like a dream. But when we see our lives in light of your eternal love in Christ, when we see that he is our dwelling place, then you establish us. You give us wisdom. And we can be glad in him. And so, God, we pray that you would help us this week to see that all that we do in light of knowing you has meaning. It matters. And it will not be swept away by the flood of time. God, I pray that we would situate our lives in in our relationship with you. And that we would know that you are our only safe and eternal dwelling. And that underneath us are your everlasting arms. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.